0: COVID-19 has dramatically impacted all of us on both personal and professional levels, but the impact on public health is devastating and the enormous changes to our daily work routines and personal activities has turned the economy upside down. All of these changes have been felt by federal policy advocates as well. In this special edition of AD Proof Politics, we're reaching back to virtually touch base with some of our previous guests to see how they're adapting their work to this era of social distancing. We're calling it Drinking Alone Advocacy in the Time of Coronavirus.
1: I think we've all got to have a dose of, of gratitude and a dose of humility around all these things that we operate, especially as advocates.
0: Welcome to AD Proof Politics. I'm your host, Bill Shoot. Our special edition, Drinking Alone, Advocacy in the Time of Coronavirus, is broadcasting today from one of our spare bedrooms. Like every other office worker trying to adjust to stay-at-home recommendations, policy advocates are dealing with the challenges of working from home in many different ways. Some, like Glenn Lemunian of the Lemunian Group, had home office space ready to use.
2: This is... Uh it's a very secluded place here in in my house i don't have traffic going through it and uh, which is great because nobody bothers me all day um it's uh it's been a home office since i moved here six years ago but I never really spent all that much time in it uh, and now i'm I'm stuck here yeah i mean like the last five or six weeks now i've been you know, putting in like everybody, you know, the 10 to 12 hour days sitting here at the desk. So yeah. uh, it's, it's functional. This is an old dining room table uh, with a leaf in the middle and uh, some old furniture. I got some, just some prints and stuff that I used to have uh, on my office, at my office on the hill. And uh, yeah, it's been very functional.
0: Some have resorted to confiscating underutilized space belonging to other family members such as Stuart Roy, president of strategic action, public affairs.
3: It is an actual office in our house. It actually was my wife's office. Um, and I, uh, confiscated it for my own, uh, after the coronavirus. And so it works quite well, I guess, formerly years ago, it was the girl's nursery, uh, and now it is, uh, now it's the office space. And you can't see behind me because we're not doing video, but behind me is the famous pitchfork that we talked about in the previous
0: uh, interview. While others, like Jennifer Pulikitis of UCLA, Craig Purser of the National Beer Wholesalers Association, and Sean Todd, president of Fox Potomac Resources, have tried to recreate the office environment they were used to in a space not designed for that purpose.
4: So, um, so I, I have a... Uh, an apartment, um, and I didn't. I didn't have a office set up at all in my apartment because I'm very comfortable working at the at the office at the at my real office, um, and so you know I've had to sort of jigger up uh, uh, computer setup, especially for Zoom, where I've got my computer set up a little higher than you know mm-hmm. than where it typically sits on my table. And I have to sit on pillows on my chair because my chair is not quite high enough to like, let me, let me work ergonomically correctly. So it, you know, it's, um, it's not so much distracting for me. It's just not as, um, as sort of capable, right? Like the space just isn't as capable as my office space is.
1: Well, it's interesting because, uh, my work from home space is is, uh, a lot different than my work from work workspace Um, often outside uh, on the screen porch which is nice Um, but you know you're sharing a a, uh, internet connection with two students that are still allegedly going to school um, and the normal household stuff and so it's crowded you've got a little bit of everybody in your kitchen some days are better than others we're looking at each other eyeball to eyeball right now, and that is awesome. We're so fortunate to have technology that allows us to have a placeholder to keep up with this so that we don't all just run to our silos and our tribes and be less productive.
5: Oh, my work from home space. It's not very luxurious, Bill. Uh, it's our round dining room table, where, which is in the great room. Next to the kitchen, next to the living room, it's wide open. There's dogs coming in. There's three teenage boys coming in. A wife who's working for Fairfax County Public Schools on her classes. It's not quiet, and it's it's not um, it's not very professional. But I guess that's not too abnormal either.
0: And it seems to me that Ron Hutchison of H&K Strategies is tempting fate by flirting with temptation.
6: I say uh, working here in the kitchen day after day after day. Um, The good news is I can look out the window and when it's a nice day, I appreciate that. I'm a little bit too close. I need to do some social distancing for the refrigerator, but other than that, it's not a bad place to work.
0: Regardless of how or where advocates are working, the whole idea of advocating remotely has to be a challenge. Well, after all, how exactly does a profession built on relationships and interpersonal connections thrive in an era of self-isolation?
5: I think your key word, Bill, is thriving. I don't know how it thrives. I don't think, I think you survive. I think it's survival for everybody. Hmm. I mean, relationships, how can you build a relationship? I mean, we could do this, but we've known each other for a number of years. If you're building a new relationship, over Zoom, I don't see that working. I think it's survival, not thrive. Imagine if you're tr- starting out a new initiative or a new project or a new company, you know, it'd be very difficult to get off the ground, I'd say.
6: And that's challenging. I have a new client now that, um, you know, would love to go visit them, but can't. And I think, you know, I, I don't think that's going to change. You know, people still want to be, want to look you in the eye and get to know you and just, You know, the problem with a transaction like this, like our conversation, it's it's beginning and an end point. But when you go to a client's um, headquarters or something, you'll spend time with them. You might drift away from them. You'll see them again. You might go out to dinner later that night and you get to know them in a way that you're not going to ever get to know somebody in, in an online conversation like we're having.
0: And yet, as previous crises have shown, opportunity can come from chaos and disruption. I've asked if this was going to be the case here.
3: Well, that is a great question, Bill. Um, and I'm not sure that anybody has the magic wand, but I do believe that the when you have a crisis like this, just like going back to you know almost 20 years to 9-11, there tends to be more government centralization, more government, more mm-hmm. power given to the government, more spending authority given to the government. And with that, there's going to be huge advocacy efforts on How that money gets spent, how it gets divvied up, if it goes out to contractors, whatever the particular situation is. So I think that in the advocacy space, whether that's lobbying or the non-lobbying advocacy space, that we will actually see growth in the long term. Um, But none of it, it's just like disruption in any industry, none of it's going to be smooth.
0: Even with the challenges of being an advocate from afar, Glenn remains optimistic, and Jen offers an insight into the, a phenomenon that I've witnessed throughout my neighborhood as well.
2: Well, I think as long as the communication remains high, if you're able to keep communicating with the people that you need to communicate with, uh, you can still get everything done that you need to get done. It's a little more challenging, but overall, you can get through to these people.
4: It's such a good question, Bill. I mean, I what I what I think about is how do we, you know, when when the world opens again, how how is our work going to be different given the experience that we've just been through for you know two months, three months, however long the period is. I think that it's it is hard to um, to replicate building relationships in person. That said, um, I feel like we have re-socialized ourselves.
0: Well, if you're like me, the days are starting to run together and something that happened two weeks ago might seem like last month. For instance, I'm pretty sure Ron meant to say March, not May. When I asked each of my guests to recall the last time they were in their old office.
6: It was right around May 15th, I believe. And the funny thing is, we were just getting ready to move our office um, back downtown from Shaw. Uh, That's more or less on hold. We have a target date of June, but I don't think anybody's going to be there if we do move by June.
2: I went there
6: two weeks ago to check the mail,
2: but it was uh, Thursday, March 12th. Uh,
3: Oh, gosh, probably. Probably close to two months ago. Probably was two months ago. Uh, would have been, yeah, would have been the, uh, end of February or beginning of March, probably beginning of March sometime. Yeah. I don't know the exact date. Yeah.
0: A couple have even had the opportunity to sneak back in every once in a while.
4: Well, so this is, this is totally between us, but, um, I do go into my office, like kind of regularly, like at least every week. Um, because one other person that ever comes into the building. And so I feel like if I could be more, like, efficient and effective and, like, get some work done and then also print some stuff out and, you know, have a time where I've got, like, two screens, I will do that.
1: So my office is such that uh, I will admit to sneaking in more than once. Uh, Office is in Old Town, Alexandria, and so it is – you know, and it's a, it's a low-rise building, and, you know, our folks are all working remotely, but it's, um, you know, so I can be in there and be safe, and, you know, maybe there's another person or two that snuck in, but we are still working remotely, and, um, you know, on occasion you'll go in there for a more important broadcast, a little bit better internet connection, um, but, you know, uh, it's not a daily activity.
0: And while everyone seems to recall with a certain degree of clarity the last time they were in the office, memories were a bit more clouded when I asked when it was they had their last physically face to face meeting.
2: Like face to face, not zoom to face. Yeah. Oh in person. Yeah, it's it's back in early March probably. Yeah, which is weird.
6: You know, I traveled when um it was a, Right around mid-March, I had a client out in, uh, gosh, Atlanta. Yeah. Um, And I remember thinking at the time, why the hell are all these people on this airplane? Don't they know there's a virus out there? But the planes were packed. Every every leg of the flight was packed. Yeah.
3: That would have been about the same time, uh, beginning of March, um, because I went to go visit a client in North Carolina. I believe it was the first week in March. And we were beginning to think, like, is this a good idea or not? Um, and, yeah, and I, that, then I came back to D.C., and that was, that, was the last, that was the last interaction, and that was the last trip and the last time to the office.
4: But
0: while it may have been more than two months since any of my guests had an in-person meeting, that certainly doesn't mean that they aren't having meetings. Personally, I've been wondering if all of the people who've been filling my days with back-to-back Zoom meetings think that my definition of WFH means nothing more than waiting for happy hour.
6: Email's about the same, like, you know, over a couple hundred a day. I, I, I never had considered how many I get, so I just took a quick look yesterday, and it was 200 and something, which seemed about normal. Um, video conferencing way up, phone calls way down. Um, I mean, everything's gone to video conferencing. And the biggest challenge for me, and I bet you can do it somehow, but I liked, you know, we do billable hours, so I liked with the phone, I could always see how long I was on the phone. I don't know how to do that on Teams, but I need to figure that out.
5: Well, uh, video conferences obviously has shot up by a factor of five, I think. But I was doing Zoom calls with Fermilab for the past five years. I guess they were a little ahead of the curve. So every Wednesday, I have a Zoom call with Fermilab, and that's been going on for five years, but everyone else is on board.
2: Uh, let's see. Emails probably uh, are, are the king of the heap there. And then uh, phone calls, numerous conference calls. I guess there's a bunch of people that just don't want to be seen. <laughs> <on screen.
3: laughs>
2: and then, but I'm probably doing you know probably doing uh four or five conference calls a day and probably two or three zooms a day uh and
3: uh, you know just a month ago i didn't even know how to use Zoom. so uh, well so uh calls have come unless they're a one-on-one uh I, I find that when i'm doing one on ones just like we do a one-on-one meeting those tend to be calls and not video um we still do tons and tons of email but the group conference calls are now zero and have been 100% replaced with uh, video calls. I don't know whether it's the novelty of it. and Maybe that's wearing off or not. Um, but that, that's really kind of interesting. I tell you, the other thing I find interesting about uh, video calls versus conference calls, and I don't know, again, whether it's the newness of it. Not that it's a new technology, but that we're in, in embracing it more than we used to. Uh, at least I am and my clients are. But what I found is these these meetings that used to go on for an hour, hour and a half for conference calls are much shorter on video than they are on conference calls. And I don't know the science behind it. I don't even know if it's true for everybody, but I I found to be very true. My theory is that it is mentally taxing to sit there and look at multiple screens at the same time to be physically on. Uh, the whole time because everybody can see your facial expressions as opposed to being on a conference call when you can scroll through the internet <laughs> you can let your mind wander you can go you know, down go down whatever and get some water or whatever uh, and you have to be much more engaged in a, in a, in a video um, call
4: but I've had, I've had some days with solid eight hours of zoom and then I have to focus on email because unlike conference calls You can't really double-task when you're (laughs) suing.
5: This is Peter. And this
0: is Tom. We want to tell you guys a little bit about our podcast. Tom and I met in college, became best friends, and then teachers almost 20 years ago. Sometimes, school just does not allow us to elaborate on the topics that we find interesting, like the real shark attacks that inspired the movie Jaws, or the real historical context to Indiana Jones artifacts. Where does cereal come from? Or are zombies real? Does Ben Franklin really deserve to be on a $100 bill? On our podcast, just like in our
6: class, there are no stupid questions. Just two friends having lighthearted conversation about history, pop culture, and the context of current events.
0: Listen to History Teachers Talking Podcast from Evergreen Network, anywhere you get your podcast. It should be no surprise to anyone that organizations whose business models have been disrupted by the virus have increased their outreach to decision makers, as have those industries with something to offer in the form of healthcare or job creation.
5: When there's an issue, it's become more of a premium. For example, a client has a project in Seattle at a hospital and they all got laid off. And so (laughs) section 3610 of the COVID stimulus package uh dealt with the ability of government workers to be paid but they also got a p3 loan and so with their department of energy client there was a question as to whether use the ppp loan or the 3610 provision so that was an important important issue so they needed to get in front of the client and so um it just underscores that the primary lesson that your existing or pre-existing relationships
2: everything. Uh, So I do have several clients that have just been, every morning is a fire drill, every single morning. And actually, you know, I tell people I've I've never worked harder in these last four or five weeks, maybe because of the the issues that are going on and clients trying to figure out all this CARES Act stuff, but um, I've never worked harder.
4: Increased 100%. You know, they've got me from the moment I wake up until the moment I fall asleep, so.
6: (laughs) It's been the same. And, you know, part of it is we're doing a lot of COVID-19 work. So that's busy. I mean, some other things have been put on hold, but, you know, the COVID-19 work has gone in the trajectory of the pandemic where initially it was all, hey, what are the what-ifs? What should we prepare if something happens? And it became, okay, now it's happened. How do we communicate layoffs? What do we say? That initially, it'd be like, "What are we doing to keep them safe?" Then it becomes layoffs, and now we're starting to look at, um, you know, reentry and considerations for reentry and things like that.
0: COVID nineteen is dominating the news and conversations and government at all levels. I mean, every day we read about it, we hear about it, we talk about it, but legislative and regulatory activities still continue. So I was curious if the virus was crowding out all the other issues for our guest birds.
6: Oh my gosh, Bill. Oh, definitely. Uh,
3: definitely crowding out everything else, and especially for this space. We do a lot more than media relations and advocacy, but part of it is media relations. But right now, trying to talk to a reporter or email with a reporter, but anything that's not coronavirus related is is a waste of everybody's time and effort. Um, and it doesn't mean you go around making up connections, uh, but they're be- best be, or it's just not news.
6: It is the dominant thing. And even, you know, we're seeing it with the media. We're seeing it with clients, definitely with, with corporations. You know, it is it is the focus of the day. And it's amazing. I noticed the other day, I was looking at somebody on COVID-19, and it was their White House reporter. And it was not a White House story. It was a kind of a business story. And I'm thinking... Mm-hmm. You know, it shows they're redeploying resources to cover the story. That's the biggest story out there. The journalists are covering so much of this story and every different angle of this story that it's it's hard to break through. Yeah. I'm working with a few clients that are working on treatments and or vaccines, and, you know, so is everybody else. Um, yeah. So it's a very crowded space out there. And and if you're non-COVID-19, you really got a problem.
4: It's It's, I mean, for the first maybe three, four weeks, it was a hundred percent COVID. Uh, now it's probably 85%. <laughs> I mean, it's still overwhelming.
0: But as Sean points out, other work does continue.
4: I, I think
5: that from my perspective, work is going on almost, you know, con- it continues to go on. And so people still need to have their usual business taken care of. Yeah. And so for example, Contracts, procurements, solicitations, they're still happening. So proposals still need to be written. Red teams still have to happen over Zoom or what have you. Um, teaming arrangements still have to be made to form your joint venture to go after a, a big a big contract. So a lot more Zoom calls in that regard, Bill. But yeah, from where I sit, it's it, everyone's just trying to do their business by teleworking.
0: In previous episodes of 80 Proof Politics, when we've talked to advocates about the tools that they use, one of the recurring themes is the high value visit by decision makers to physical locations. So I was curious, how do you turn this tool into a worthwhile virtual experience?
2: Uh, we could potentially show them in person something, but we couldn't have them in an aircraft. Um, yeah, uh, I would imagine if they wanted to show up, I mean, because again, business keeps going. If we were able to get a member of Congress to come out, uh, a decision maker to come out, staff to come out, and and watch at a, at a distance what we mm-hmm. do, uh, I think that could still be possible for that particular client. Yeah,
4: you know, I've set up a bunch of um, Zoom calls with our legislators and our chancellor. So we 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 hit a bunch of our federal legislators, a bunch of our uh, members of Congress. And um, and and are now in like I think we're about to hit our fifth state legislator um, this week, fifth, sixth, and seventh state legislators this week. And we're also um, we're also zooming with our um, uh, with our local legislators, our city council, and our and our and our supervisor. Um, and we've had a lot of um, interaction with our with our mayor. Um, for a role he wants us to play jointly with USC, but whatever, mm-hmm. I'll roll my eyes now. I'm kidding. <laughs>
6: <laughs> to me, I was thinking about it in advance of this. The, you know, Capitol Hill is a completely different um, milieu, I guess I'd say. Is, that is a face-to-face, get-to-know-people encounter more than anything else. So for example, we were going to do a Hill Lunch and Learn and just scrapped it entirely but we're also going to do an event for a corporate client that was going to you know bring a bunch of reporters together and we decided to take that one virtual so why wouldn't we take the hill virtual and i think it's just because it's a different world right first of all we're going to do it on the hill and there's then the logistical challenges about that but secondly the the benefits of even do, even doing it are just not that great unless you're there on their world seeing people face to face. And I think that's one thing that's really different. Um, I think the corporate world and the media, back to your question, I think they will, I think we'll see more and more um, kind of online interaction.
0: Now, another of the tools that greases the wheels in Washington is the fundraiser.
6: I was wondering
0: if these or other political events have gone virtual.
1: It is changing and and it's um, and I think it's for the better and it's funny because I don't do as much of it as a lot of the folks that are that are government affairs exclusive or that are contract folks. And um, I've been amazed in talking to some of my friends and and neighbors who said, you know, they'll they'll do this event. and There'll be 20 people on the call and and folks are bashful. Folks are are not necessarily willing to speak up and um, I think that's, you know, we're advocates, and, and, you know, everybody, you know, rolls their eyes at that one lobbyist at the luncheon that, you know, occupies everybody's time. You don't have to be the, exactly, you don't have to be the, the blowhard, but, you know, asking a question that everybody's interested in is just being a good guest. Uh,
2: it's coming. It's coming, and uh, I think at a start, I've actually had uh, one fundraiser call me saying, what would I think about having a Zoom fundraiser and with a member of Congress? And I said, you know, I said, given where we are, I said, it's acceptable. I said, with a caveat, I said, it's probably going to take a little more time on their part because no one wants to do a, you know, a fundraiser, $1,000 check, pack check from somebody. And there's, you know, 30 people on the screen. Yeah. That's not gonna work, I said. So it's gonna it's gonna take more time on the members' part to do this and do it right and raise money.
4: I've not been um, I've not been pulled into any fundraisers, but uh, you know our our local chambers are definitely putting together events, right? So our LA chamber, uh, LA, um, Economic Development Corporation, bizfed all of them are are hosting seminars webinars as are we as are others at ucla you know
0: for those guests who are solo lobbyists or work for client-based firms i asked if it's gotten harder to attract new business during this time
6: yeah and that is a great question because i it you know most of our work is ramped up from existing clients But I always say in this business, you've got to be present to win. They they, they want to see you. They want to know you, get to know you. And that's challenging.
3: Right now, I'm finding it impossible to talk, if if you're talking about corporate clients or trade associations, which are who my clients are, uh, it's almost impossible to get to them if you don't already have a relationship or working with them. But what we have had success with is talking to, I say success, success in getting in front of people. We haven't landed new business in the last um, um, two months, but we've had success in getting in front of people through video calls uh, through their lobbying efforts, right? So there's the lobbyist, or for instance, here's a good example, uh, especially about a month ago, uh, you had a number of uh, states trying to decide who was essential business and who wasn't essential business. And you yeah, damn well better be an essential business if you want to keep your employees there and you want to keep the doors open. And you know, virtually every state in the country, they have to make that case. And so so there are a lot of companies doing short term projects, but trying to prove that they were essential um, to the, you know, to the economy or essential businesses need to stay open, even if they are not a front, you know, traditional frontline consumer facing business.
0: Overall, it's clear there's a good amount of concern that the very nature of policy advocacy might be undergoing a seismic shift.
1: There's no substitution for face-to-face and and in-person, but I do think we're going to learn from this and it's going to help us be more effective. And it's funny because you're you're talking about physical advocacy and being able to show and tell your products. I think that's going to be there. It's just going to be done in a little bit different way. Um, You know, one of the words we're trying to take out of folks' vocabulary is social distancing. It's not social distancing. It's physical distancing. We're looking at each other eyeball to eyeball right now, and that is awesome. We're so fortunate to have technology that allows us to have a placeholder to keep up with this so that we don't all just run to our silos and our tribes and be less productive.
6: It's something that we're looking at in the reentry program because... You know, we all know that the intergenerational workforce brings different attitudes to it. And, um, we're starting to work with companies on, you know, how do you talk to younger workers who typically might, you know, at least the the stereotype is they're less concerned because they feel like they're not going to get sick. Older workers are more concerned. And then of course, the other thing is the ideological divide that, um, messages are going to be, uh, received in different ways by different sides of the spectrum, which is a real challenge.
3: Uh, And, you know, some things are going to fall off the table, but I think ultimately you will see a lot more people fighting for bigger pieces of the pie uh, as we come, you know, because right now, obviously the focus is on testing and treatment and vaccines, but as we hopefully turn a corner soon, there'll be a host of other things about how do we, what happened, what went wrong, what went right, and how do you prevent this in the future? And there'll, there'll be a huge lobbying business and advocacy business, I think. Uh, around that in addition to the normal business that that goes on, and I think continued huge spending numbers.
0: Much like the aftermath of the Gulf War in the 90s and the events of 9-11, it's almost a certainty that the function and process of government will change as a result of self-isolation and social distancing. Just before the recording of this episode, House leadership announced a plan for remote voting. It's too early to say whether this is a good idea or how will ultimately work. In fact, in just a little bit, you'll hear that Glenn Lemunian has some strong thoughts on the matter. But the federal government, along with nearly every aspect of our society, has to figure out a secure, proficient way to conduct business.
6: I mean, it's not necessarily as a function of this illness, but I'm always an advocate for more openness and more access. And I think one of the things that scares me is, you know, we've 9-11 restricted access. I think this is going to restrict access, you know, and certainly restrict movement around the Hill and around the Capitol, which is not a good thing. Um, so, I mean, I guess, I I don't really see positives coming out of it in that regard. I see more negatives. Um, we can have more virtual news conferences as opposed to live for scheduling purposes for the principals in the news conference. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that is, um, that's a potential negative that could come out of this if we don't realize, if we lose the human connection in government, especially.
3: A lot of thoughtful ivory tower ideas, but as we're seeing now, they're, they have real world implications. Um, and part of that, one tiny little piece, but it'll be, it'll be interesting. I do think they'll figure out a way, a better way of doing uh, voting, remote voting for members uh, because this is not working.
2: Yeah, uh you know I'm I'm relatively conservative when it comes to this stuff I uh, I, I get very wary when they uh, talk about proxy voting they got rid of uh, proxy voting in committees years ago and they did it for a reason I'm kind of a constitutionalist that way and uh, so um, I uh, I like the idea of what they're doing now uh, kind of Having you know A through C, you get the first ten minutes. Uh, you know D through F, you have the second ten minutes. Look, it's not perfect, but at least it's secure. Um, you know they they thought about going to some video or, or uh, remote voting, and like in any business or anything, there's always going to be one bad apple that's going to abuse it, and we just don't want that. You know, Congress does not need a black eye. It's it's going to take one member of Congress to blow it and give the rest of the Congress this view like they're sitting on their couch in somewhere in Iowa casting their vote.
0: In spite of the fact that each one of us feels like we're working harder and one day bleeds into the next, it's not all about work. Some of us have actually adopted new habits and hobbies during this time.
3: So I like to lift, right? So I do CrossFit and powerlifting. And uh, because of a good friend of mine, giving me his entire, not giving me, loaning me his entire weight set uh, that he kept at his vacation house. Uh, I now have all that stashed on my front porch and I break it out nearly every day and uh, able to lift weights more frequently than, uh, I have no excuses left, right? (laughs) So I lifted anyway, but certainly much more consistent in my weightlifting. So I'm gonna emerge from the pandemic with uh, new personal records, I think, and at least two, possibly three lifts. That's my goal.
5: Well, my wife and I have had to, uh, been able to binge watch Ozark during this period, which is a new thing for us. We've never done that before. That was fun. Part of my house has turned into a frat house. (laughs) My college boy and my two high school boys.
6: It's a, there's that to manage. I'm starting work a lot earlier and I'm getting off earlier, which is really nice. And when I'm off, I'm home. I do like that part. Although I must say I've never gone to work without taking a shower or just in my pajamas and I'm doing that as well.
1: And, you know, this is the lo- longest period of time where I haven't been in a on an airplane or stayed in a hotel room of my adult life. And that is, you know, that's just different.
4: I didn't know anybody in my neighborhood. And now, you know, I'll go on jogs or, or, um, or walks around and, you know, wave and say hi and, um, I mean, That never happened before because Uh, I never really walked in my neighborhood.
0: Obviously you're decked out in the button down. Is this a, is this a regular
2: everyday look for you now? I try. I'll tell you one thing that is important. And uh, actually it was my daughter that told me, um, that there is a correlation with how you get yourself ready. Uh, and, and for a day, and so she has a, um, she had an online class, um, a couple of semesters ago and the prof told her that, you know, they said, they suggested get up, get a shower, get dressed as if you're going to class and, and you will do better. And they, there's data that shows that that's the, that's the truth. So in the same frames, this is not a class, this is my job, but, uh, yeah, I try and, I try and, you know, I'm going through my, uh, white shirts like I have and, uh, I got my dress shoes on right now. I'm wearing jeans, but, and I don't put on a coat or a tie, but yeah. anything just to step it up, you know, try and keep that, that work routine down, um, get up, grab a shower, workout, grab a shower, and then, you know, try and be at the desk by like, you know, eight, eight 30 kind of deal.
0: And here are a few random, but poignant thoughts that my guest raised outside of the context of my direct questions. You
6: know, the head of WPP, our holding company says that we've, 10 years of innovation into 10 weeks. Our behavioral science team did a really interesting project where they took language that the CDC was using at the time to encourage um, hygiene, for example, and applied behavioral science to it, and then did testing with a big sample. I forget how many, but it was clear that people responded um, more effectively to the language that was informed by behavioral science for example uh the one that really stuck with me was the yuck factor so if you tell people you know you should keep your mouth wear wear a mask to prevent you know inhaling droplets or something it's not nearly as powerful you say if you wear a mask and somebody sneezes on you you'll be protected because everybody's like well who wants to be sneezed on and that's that's the, the it's not the behavioral science term but it's the the meaning of it you know in plain language the yuck factor is a powerful motivator for changing behavior
3: what has been the biggest inhibitor i think and where video does not do or conference calls or whatever don't do as good a job as face to face is um idea excuse me uh meetings where you're trying to generate ideas mm-hmm. um, and brainstorming sessions and whatever just because the free flow just doesn't work as well with the speaker cutting off as one person talks and the other person talks
2: yeah people people are losing perspective on the size of these bills that they're passing i mean these guys they've spent too much money now and it's 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 the kind of money that you know our great 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 grandchildren will be paying you know being working on the appropriations committee for for nine years and then seeing somebody pass a two trillion dollar bill by voice
5: (laughs) am i dreaming am i dreaming one of those days buddy i know how that works my friend oh my god it's just been technical problems all day that's the disadvantage of a small small operation man
0: well you do everything from fixing the copier to getting your own coffee
5: chief bottle washer I, my my work situation is a little different anyway. I have a condo in a condo building I use as an office. So it's an extra burden when everyone's working from home cuz the Wi-Fi gets taken up. So it's been extra slow here. So I might have to go back to home and get be more productive. Um uh,
4: you know I I I think I think it'll be a while before folks are comfortable shaking hands. I mean uh, um Uh, Dr. Fauci said overtly, I hope we never go back to shaking hands, which I was like, oh no. (laughs) And you know, I'm a hugger, right? Like, oh.
0: (laughs) Yeah, tell me about it. I don't
4: have to like stop myself.
0: And in closing, I want to leave you with the best unsolicited comments and outtakes of all the interviews.
1: You know, I've been known to drink a little beer on a Zoom call. You know, people from New York City helping people from New York City helping people from Kansas City helping people in Oklahoma City to get to to get this right. But we had to do it in a very, very careful manner. I mean, let's let's look at this. Beer distributors have been declared essential and been open. Churches have not. Think about that Guinness that never got served that is sitting in an Irish bar that's got a padlock on it. Breaks your
6: heart. We often hear about the individuals who took the oath of office to become the chief executive. But what about the other people who play a role in each administration or the events that may not be as well-known, but that contribute to the reshaping of the office of the American presidency? On the presidencies of the United States... We explore each administration beyond just the person holding the highest elected office in order to better understand the history that brought us to the modern day presidency. I hope you'll join me on this journey through the annals of presidential history. Presidencies can be found anywhere fine, podcasts can be found, and as a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.